We're in a series called Raising Kids God's Way, talking about the biblical way to raise children. And uh, <clears throat> we've been in this for this uh, series, All in the Family, has been talking about family and godly family. And uh, we talked about godly marriage. Now we're talking about children. And this is the last week of Raising Kids God's Way. The next two weeks, we're going to be uh, talking, kind of cleaning up the series talking about some outlier issues about being a godly Christian family and what that means. And then we're going into a series uh, at, in the beginning of August uh, called uh, Honest Questions That Deserve Answers. I know you receive a lot of questions in your life. People ask you uh, things about your faith and things about the Bible and why does God do this and how can a loving God be this way? Well, we're going to be looking at those questions because those are honest questions. And many of you who are believers, if you came to Christ as an adult, those are questions you had at some point. And it does us no good not to have an answer. In fact, the Bible tells us we're supposed to have an answer for those questions. So we're going to be looking at that and uh, seeing what the Bible has to say about those honest questions. Uh, for now, let's, uh, let's dig into this last series, last message on Raising Kids God's Way. If you'd stand with me as we read our text, 3 John verse 4, very simply says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. You may be seated. I hope that's a, I hope that's a passion of your heart as a parent. I hope that's a prayer in your life and in your soul as a parent that no matter what happens, no matter where life takes them, no matter what they go through, no matter what your family goes through, that your children always choose the path of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse means. I've got no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Not that my children become successful business people. Not that my, my children graduate uh, from college and get their doctorate and whatnot. That my children, no matter where God takes them, no matter what they do in their lives, they choose the path of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Why do we need to talk about parenting from the Bible? Why do we know what the Bible has to say about being parents? Quite honestly, because in the world today, in society today, you're being told something totally different, something incredibly opposite of what the Bible has to say. Many times it's from people who don't have a clue. It's from people who don't know anything about uh, parenting. Uh, in fact, uh, Adele, F Adele Faber said, I was a wonderful parent before I had children. <laughs> have you ever had that great advice from people who don't have kids? Yes, why do your children do that? You know, if, if those were my kids, that's always, a, that's always a negative way to start a conversation, right? If those were my kids, someday they will be. And uh, I wish we had a tape recorder or a tape recorder, geez. Does that take it back? <laughs> wish, we, wish we had our cell phones on. There you go. Make it a little more culturally appropriate. Wish we had our cell phones on recording you right now because I'd love to play that back for you at some point. Just like a strong godly marriage is the foundation of a strong home, strong godly children are the foundation for raising godly children. <laughs> Jesus, uh, the Bible says it this way, you can't expect sweet water to come from bitter water. So if you want godly children in your home, guess what? You need to be a model of godly parenting for them. And that's why we're talking about what we're talking about. It doesn't matter what generation you're from or 
what your cultural background is or your age, and I uh, just want to publicly apologize to his Valdo and his family. I'm so sorry for Brazil's loss last night. It was a tough, it was a good game. It's a good game, but Argentina just, uh, I was sorry. So I was pulling for him. I was pulling for him. If you're a parent as a parent, you have the greatest responsibility that you could ever imagine or could ever be given to you. Greater than anything you do, greater than anything in your life, being a parent and raising godly children is the greatest responsibility that is given to you. I've used this quote for the last two weeks. I'm going to give it again by Andy Stanley. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. And Dr. Tony Evans again said, it's far easier to shape a child than to repair an adult. Much easier to put a kid on the right track and to give the kid the right, give a child the right tools they need for life to be successful. It doesn't mean they're always going to choose the right way. It doesn't mean they're always going to do the right thing. Think back to when you were a kid. Think back to the things you'd said to your parents. Think back to the, the way you tried to, uh, tried to get around your parents' rules. Your children are going to do the same thing. Your job as a parent is to address those issues in a godly, biblical way and make sure they know what the Bible has to say about things. Now, we have covered six points in this, and I just want to review them very quickly to remind you where we've come from, and then we'll finish up this message. The first point we talked about <laughs> was this. They need to know that you trust God. They need to know that you as a parent, as an individual, as a follower of Jesus Christ, truly do trust God. They need to know that God is the center of your life, that he is involved in every decision you make. Lindsay Bell said the, great, uh, the, the goal of parenting is not to raise perfect kids, it's to point kids to the perfect God. That's exactly what the goal is. The second point we covered was this. They need to know that you truly love them. They need to know that you truly love them. How do you do that? You show it in different ways. You don't know, we said this, and once again, tongue in cheek, you don't always have to like your kids or what they do, but they do need to know that you love them all the time. The third point is they need you to be a godly example. If we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. The fourth one we started last week, they need you to model love for the Bible. We do this by living a testimony of the principles of his word, living the fruit of the spirit, living uh, the armor of, of a Christian, those things that the Bible tells us, the way the Bible tells us to live, those are the things we model for our children. Next point was they need you to command respect, not demand respect, command respect. In other words, you live in such a way and you lead in such a way that they respect you and are willing to follow you and follow your lead. Someone once said, kids who never have any, any accountability for their actions will continue through life thinking nothing is their fault and everything is owed to them. And the last point we covered last week was they need you to believe in biblical discipline. They're not going to want you to believe in biblical discipline, but they need you to believe in it. Remember, it took a long time and, and very careful conversation about what biblical discipline is and what it's not. You may not believe in spanking, 
That's okay. Biblical discipline is, is punishment with a point, punishment with a purpose. And that doesn't mean spanking. It may, that might, that might be your, your go-to. But there's also a difference between spanking and an abuse. And you need to make sure you understand that. John Eldridge said, the balancing act we parents attempt is convincing our children, first, that you are loved more than you can imagine, and secondly, the world does not revolve around you. And that brings us to point number seven. They need you, and this kind of goes along with biblical uh, understanding biblical discipline. They need you to model self-control. They need you to model self-control. The, the fancy psychoanalysis word or phrase today is self-regulation, right? They need to sell, they need, kids need to learn how to self-regulate. And that's, uh, that's, we do that by modeling self-regulation or self-control. A child's shoulders were not built to bear the weight of their parents' choices. Many times we, because of our choices, because of our actions, because of the way we live our lives, we cause our children to bear the weight of our bad example. And kids are now forced to fend for themselves in many areas of life because they have no example to follow. Or the example they have to follow is one that is of dysfunction and nothing but dysfunction comes from dysfunction. Your children need you to model self-control. What does that mean in a practical sense? As a Christian parent, as a follower of Christ, how do you show your child self-control? Well, first of all, godly parenting is about anger management. Godly parenting is about anger management. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do your kids just know you by your scream? Do they just know you by your bellow? Is everything you say to them an angry statement? Your children need you to model self-control. Do, do you lose your stuff on every little thing that happens. Sometimes we have to give our children room to breathe. Sometimes you have to give your kids room to make mistakes. Sometimes you have to let a child do things on their own. One thing I, I love about what my wife does, uh, sometimes we make dinner. We don't, we don't allow the, the boys to do much. We don't allow them to have knives and things like that because that's, you know, that's just crazy. But because if they were my sons, if we gave them knives, they would start a sword fight. Right? I'm just telling you, that's what my boys would do. But my wife will have pizza night and they make their own pizzas and they get to make their own choice and they get to make it their own way. And it's up to them where they want, if they want to put the cheese on first and the sauce after that. What they end up doing is following the example of mom and dev mom, because I'm not usually there when they do pizza night but they usually follow mom's example. But they're able to choose what they want to do and how they want to do it. Modeling for your kids how to handle situations for themselves and modeling for your children how you yourself handle the difficulties of life. Here's a big one. For those of you who, have, uh, uh, who are a two-parent home, 
How do you communicate with your spouse? How do you treat your spouse? Gentlemen, do you talk to your wife as if she's your servant? First of all, if you're young and in this modern society, I don't know how you'd get away with that without like an iron coming your way. But secondly, that's just not right. That's just not right. How do you talk with each other? How do you communicate? Do you communicate with the grace, the graceful speech that Jesus Christ has commanded us to communicate with? That's not just for those people out there. It's mostly for people in your home. You're, listen, gentlemen, your sons are going to treat their wives the way you treat your, their mother. And ladies, your daughters are going to respond to their husbands the way you respond to your husband. The mutual respect or the mutual anger that you show as a believer. Now listen, we're not talking just husbands and wives. The mutual respect you show each other as followers of Jesus in the home is a huge example of how to interact with other people and how to control that anger for your children. Folks, you need to teach your children anger management. The second part of how to model self-control is this. Godly, uh, godly parenting is about self-denial. This is a huge issue in society today because society today is all about me. Right? It's all about me. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to have my thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my voice. I'm going to pursue my desires. Can I just share with you this, parents? Once again, man, parenting is not about you. And once you just remember this, you, I don't care how it got there, and I don't mean that with, um, I don't mean that with, with, with a lack of concern or a lack of love, but just remember, you chose to give life to that child. They didn't choose to be born. You chose to give them life. Now treat them with the respect that is deserved and earned by being a creation of God. That means that you must deny yourself on many different levels. Children aren't just a blessing, as we've been saying through this whole sermon, they're a responsibility. And there's a huge part of you that must deny your own desires and your own wants and your own, uh, your own, uh, your own things in life for the benefit of your children. You're responsible for them. They're not responsible for you. Titus 2 verses 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness, godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Now, I know there are those who want to tell you that the Bible was written over 2,000 years ago, between 2,000 and 3,500 years ago, there's no way that the Bible can be applicable to today. I'm going to tell you, it absolutely can be. The Bible is uh, applicable. Not only is it applicable today, the Bible is relevant today. The things the Bible talks about, the principles the Bible lays down for us, are principles that we can apply to our lives. So when Paul writes this uh, to Titus, he says, in the present age, let's put that in our present age. In our time today, as parents, it's vitally important that we understand to deny godlessness, 
deny those desires to follow the world and to satisfy ourselves with the things of the world and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly life in front of our children. Remember, you want a good outcome with your kids, right? You want a positive outcome with your children. You want your children to be beneficial, not just to society, but to the kingdom of God. So it stands to reason if that's the result you want and you're the number one resource, you and your, your spouse are the number one resource for your children in how to model life and how to model self-control, it stands to reason that you must be a person that is willing to deny some of yourself and some of your desires so that your child or children can learn how to live properly. Godly parenting is about being an encourager. Godly parenting is about being an encourager. Some of you, I know, some of you, your life as a child and as a teenager was spent being pushed down, being told how worthless you are, being told how bad you are, being told that you'll never amount to anything, being told that you're ugly, being told that there's no value. Maybe it wasn't told explicitly, but maybe it was shown and it modeled and exhibited in the way you were treated. I'm not your father, I'm not your mother, but let me just say this, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm so sorry you had to endure that. I'm so sorry that those who raised you were so sorry. I'm so sorry that those who raised you did not see your value. I'm so sorry that those who raised you did not see the potential within you. I'm so sorry for you, for that those in your life who had power over your life chose to abuse that power by abusing you physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually. I'm so sorry. But can I share with you this? There is healing for your heart. There is healing for your soul. And Jesus wants to overcome the sorry state of parenting that you had to endure by giving you a passion in your soul to be a better parent, to be a better follower of Jesus, to be a better example for your children so the cycle of abuse and sorriness can end with your childhood so that your children can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what is desired by God in your life. Godly parenting is about being an encourager, building up your children, being their greatest cheerleader. As a child, the greatest moments of my life, I had a wonderful childhood. But the greatest memories of my life are those memories where my parents were there to see what I did. Didn't matter what it was I did, but being able to look up from second base on that little league field and seeing my mom and dad in the stands, priceless. Being able to be a high school uh, whatever and seeing my parents in the crowd, <laughs> that was awesome. My parents encouraged me. 
My father, when I played, I played football my freshman year for East Long Meadow High. And uh, the football moms all showed up and they made buttons with, they, they took pictures of us and they made buttons. And uh, they had the little streamers and everything. And my, my dad came to my games and my dad was like the only father wearing a button. And I thought, that's my dad. That's my dad. I was so proud of, my, uh, of being his son because my dad was wearing my button on his shirt to let people know the number 59 out there, that's my boy. That's my boy. And I love that. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I used to sneak peeks up to the stands to see my father sitting up there. Your kids need you to encourage them. They need you to, to, to cheer them on. Listen, your child might not be the valedictorian of their class. In fact, the best they can do might be a C. You know what? You need to cheer them on when they get that C. Because that's the best they can do. Don't expect more out of your child than they can give. Don't expect more out of your child than they're gifted to be able to do. But be thankful and blessed and feel blessed that you have them in your life and encourage them in the way God has created them to be who God has created them to be. Titus 2, verses 6 and 7 says, In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. That dignity is not just the way you present yourself. That dignity is the way you treat your children. Do you treat your children with dignity? Or do you tear them down and make them feel worthless? Make them feel bad? Listen, because your child, it's just like, your child is just like water. It will rise to the level of expectation. And if you set the bar awfully low by telling your child how bad they are and how much of a disappointment they are, then that's exactly the level they'll rise to. The next area of modeling self-control is this. Godly parenting is about setting an example of living. Godly parenting is about setting an example of living. How do you face life? How do you face, face disaster? How do you face struggle? How do you face disappointment? How do you handle success? How do you model that for your children? We had a great opportunity to be godly parents over these last 15 months. We had an amazing opportunity. First of all, not to strangle our kids and hang them from the rafters. But secondly, to show them exactly how to respond to adverse negative circumstances. Were you a screaming parent who not constantly complained and railed on the school system for not allowing your child to go to school live? Or did you make the best of it? And allow your child to have a quiet place and you be supportive of them. What a great opportunity we had. Listen, folks, <laughs> what a great opportunity we had over this last school year to see exactly what was being taught to our children, exactly how our children were being taught, and exactly who it was that was teaching our kids. And I know several of you made, uh, wrote emails and made phone calls because of things you heard. I think that's amazing. And I think that's great that, you, that your children saw you advocating for them. It's because your children are going to need to learn how to advocate for themselves. And the way they learn how to advocate for themselves is by you advocating for them before they can do it on their own.
1 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example for your children. Once again, that's not just for those outside. That's not just for those who don't know Christ. Setting an example begins in your home. What do your children see? How do they see you live Jesus Christ? What do they see as being the priorities of your life? The priorities of your faith? Listen, you want to have family devotions. I guarantee you, your children are not going to be on board. They don't want to be pulled away from Disney+. Plus. They don't want to be pulled away from the video games. They don't want to be pulled away from their phone. They don't want to be brought inside. You know what? Go outside. If you've got a pool, sit by the pool. Take a drive. Do whatever. We, did our, we had devotions one day this week. We were taking a drive. And while we're driving, uh, Aaron read the devotions and we talked about it. And when it came time to pray, I kept my eyes open. But they prayed together. Your children need you to set the example. And sometimes that means going against what they want. Remember, how many times have I said it through this series? You are the adult. You are the parent. You are the one in charge. Don't let your child run your home. If you want a disastrous result as a parent, then let your children run the show. But if you want success and you want godly children and you want to be a successful parent, then you be a godly parent. Set the example. And the fifth part of, need, of modeling self-control is this. And it's just kind of an obvious statement. Godly parenting is about being godly. <laughs> godly parenting is about being godly, folks. Once again, you can't get, you can't get sweet water out of bitter. You can't bring godliness out of ungodliness. And if you are not being faithful to your walk with Jesus Christ, guess what? Your children are going to see an unfaithful walk. And they're going to see, they're, they're going to see that, that following Jesus Christ and, and living a life that honors him has not been modeled for them. So they've got a choice. They can either strike out on their own or they can follow the example that has been set for them. And the vast majority of children will follow the example that has been set for them. If God and church are not vitally important to you in your life and the way you run your family, it will not be important to your children when it comes time for them to choose. Isaiah 54, 13 says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. That doesn't mean that your children are not going to endure hard, hard times. That doesn't mean that your children are not going to have difficulties. That doesn't mean your children are not going to have physical maladies. That doesn't mean they're not going to come up against struggles in their life. What that does mean is that if you have taught your children the ways of God, if you have taught them the principles of the word of God, if you have lived a godly life of trust, belief, and faithfulness to your Savior like you should have, then when they face those difficult times, they're going to have a foundation to stand on. They're going to have a well of knowledge from which to draw. They're going to have sweet water to drink and refresh their souls when they need it. 
That's what they're going to need. And when they have made those mistakes, when they have made those bad choices, when they have followed the wrong crowd, there's going to be that voice of conscience that has been implanted through your work by the Holy Spirit that says, hey, knucklehead, you're on the wrong road. Get it right now. And they're going to be drawn back. Whether they respond and come back is between them and God but you will have given them the tools with which to fight the battle of life. And that's your job as a parent. Point number eight in this message is this. And once again, this might not go over very well with some of you. It might go, it, in fact, it does go completely against what they are seeing and what they are hearing and what they're being taught. But folks, they need you to monitor their friends and acquaintances. Your children desperately need you to monitor your friends and acquaintances. We have determined, Aaron and I have determined, we've had a lot of conversations about this. This is a, a big choice, a big decision for us, and a big issue with our sons. Because of their background, because of uh, their history and our family history, we have decided that our sons will not have sleepovers with anybody. They're just not going to do it. Now, first of all, for those of you who would consider having my son sleep over, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. All right. Because, <laughs> because we put him to bed every night. <laughs> so you're welcome ahead of time. And wake up with them every morning. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, what's best for my sons is to have the security of sleeping in their own bed at night and to wake up in their own bed in their own house in the morning. You see, my boys, every new home they went to was a new bed. Every new bed they slept in was a new home. And for my sons, it was very difficult for them when they first moved in with us because they just figured this is just another stop along the way. So for our boys, we know that they need the security of home. They might not know they need that. They might not realize they need it, but we know they need it. And quite honestly, there's a lot of people in this world, I'll just be real honest with you, a lot of people in this world I just don't trust with my boys. You would be horrified, for those of you who have dealt with people in life, you would be horrified to know that some of the nicest, most upstanding people in your society are abusers of children. I won't put my sons in that situation. Well, that's so rude. You don't trust me? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. Listen, I've, I've walked that road with kids before. No. No. I value my children more than I value my trust in you. How about that? I value my boys more than I value your respect of me. How about that? Why? Because you respecting me, that's... That's something that I can, I can adjust to as an adult. My sons, 
They go over to somebody's house and somebody abuses them. That could shake their life forever. And I'm not going to let that happen. Not on my watch. And my wife says the same thing. We will go to war over that. <laughs> that might sound drastic to you, but let me tell you, you monitoring your children's friends and acquaintances is a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle. Doug Flanders said this, no parent can childproof the world. A parent's role is to worldproof your child. You can't childproof the world. I just, I just read an article. It made national news. Can you believe this? There is an individual in England, young man in England, who is so enamored with a Korean pop star. I have no idea who the guy is. I have no idea what it sings. I don't even know. You might know. I have no idea. I don't listen to secular music, so I have no idea who it is. But this British young man in his 20s is so enamored with this pop star that he had plastic surgery to change his looks to look like this guy. And, that, and that's just the beginning. This young man now announced on whether it's TikTok or I have no idea. There's so many out there now. I have no idea what they are. Instagram, something. He announced that he is transracial. He's transracial. He's no longer English. He identifies as Korean. Seriously. This is where we've come to. When anything goes, nothing is restrained. Unbelievable. You cannot childproof the world. Your kids are going to hear this stuff. Your kids are going to see this stuff. Your children are going to be exposed to it. They're going to. You can homeschool your kids, and they're still going to see it. They're still going to be exposed. You can't childproof the world, but you can childproof your children. Or you cannot, uh, but you can worldproof your children. You can do your dead level best to implant within them the self-confidence of the word of God and the principles of the word of God, whereby they will be able to measure the things that they see and the opportunities they have by the principles of the word of God and make a proper choice that mirrors what the Bible teaches them. Parenting is not for cowards. Parenting is not for people who are weak of heart. Parenting is, is for those who are strong of spirit. Parenting is for those who are willing to take a stand, who are willing to be unpopular, not just in your home, but maybe in your school as well. Maybe with the local authorities, maybe with parents in the community being willing to take a stand for right. Listen, what they see on TV is a far cry from biblical parenting in childhood. I cringe. Maybe, you, maybe you're the, you could raise your hand on this one. Maybe you're that parent, just like Aaron and me. When some kid smarts back to his father or mother on TV, and it's, a, it's in all shows. I look at my sons and I say, you ever talk to your mom like that? 
And I won't tell you how I finished that. <laughs> in fill in the blank. And I go, we go on, and Aaron says, and we go on to explain why. It's disrespectful to your mother to speak to her that way. It's disrespectful to authority. And it's not just, not just them. We make sure that our, chill, our boys know, you don't talk to adults that way. You don't talk. Not only do you not talk to adults that way, you don't talk about adults that way. You treat people with respect because the way you treat people is the way they're going to treat you. And if you want people to honor you and respect you, you better respect them in return. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is a powerful verse, parents, for you to write down, memorize, and put into practice. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. For those of you who struggled, for those of you who had rough times as teenagers, or when you went off to college or in your young adulthood, was it your parents that took you down the wrong road or your friends? Was it your parents that pointed you in the wrong direction or your friends? And for those of you who had those opportunities and passed them up and chose to go the right way, was it your friends teaching and training and principles from the Bible that they instilled in your life or was it from your parents? You see, folks, it is vitally important that we give our children the tools with which to attack life and to stand against the problems and issues they're going to face because bad company has the potential to corrupt that good morality that you've raised them with. We all understand that you become who your friends are for good or bad. You become who your friends are for good or bad. I was approached by a couple people this morning. Dodgers had a big game last night. You can see the highlights. 22 to one, big game. They played East Long Meadows under 10 year old league team. <laughs> better known as the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. Nick Ahmed, yes. And we smoked them. Now, there's a Hall of Fame candidate on the Dodgers now. He played a lot of his career for those who will not be named from St. Louis. The Cardinals, I'll say. And they played for the Angels. And he had such a bad season for the angels, the first half of the season, the angels didn't attempt to trade him. They cut him. They just cut him. And he was making, his contract was for over like $25 million a year. They just cut him. The Dodgers picked him up. He hit two home runs last night. He's playing with renewed youth and renewed vigor. Why? Because he's around a group of individuals who are passionate a group of individuals who want to win, a group of individuals who are encouragers and want to help each other out and give each other a love for the game back. You see, that's a, that's a real world, world example of how those around us will influence us. And you will become who your friends are, whether that's for good or for bad. So it's important, I believe, that you monitor your children's acquaintances and friends that you make sure that you know who your kids' friends are. I, we make it a point of meeting the parents of our children, of our boys' friends. We'll have them over. 
I want them to know that we're engaged in their lives. It's vitally important that you monitor that because who your kids hang around with has a large, a large influence on who they become. Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. James 3.16 says, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Monitor who your children's friends and acquaintances are. You and your children should have believers as friends. That doesn't mean you should not have friends outside the church. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have friends from other churches. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, your, your, boy, your, your children shouldn't have friends and you shouldn't have friends that are unbelievers because that's how we reach people. That's how we share our faith. And you can't cut yourself out of the world and still be an effective Christian. What that means is you need to make sure that your children have some godly examples in their lives beyond you. Listen, I, listen I, I've made no mistake, no, made no question about it. In a good way, I pride myself on being a good father. It's the best thing I've done in my life. I'm not very good at many things in my life, but I'm a good dad. And that, was the, the, that and my love for Aaron was the motivating factor of adopting Gabriel and Michael and bringing them into our home. But I can tell you this. My boys will not relate to me the way they will relate to, to friends of their own age. That's just the fact of the matter. I'm not the one they're going to have to learn how to play baseball together as a team with. I'm not the one they're going to have to learn how to face MCAS with. I'm not the one they're going to have to sit at lunch and talk about the unfair teacher and spit spitballs at the, pr the principal when he walks by. Not that I know anybody who would do that. <laughs> Their friends are going to be those people. And they're going to have them. And if you cut them off from those friends, guess what? They'll find a way to have those friends. That's why we have a children's ministry. That's why we have a youth ministry. Because we want, our, we want to provide the opportunity for you as parents to have the opportunity for your children to get acquainted and get to know other children who are hopefully being raised in the same kind of home with the same kind of biblical principles and the same kind of biblical desires as you are trying to raise your children with. Quickly, number nine is this. They need you, they need to see you committed to your local church. Folks, we are tasked with not only being effective in our lifetime, but we are tasked with making sure and doing to the best of our ability to make sure that our faith survives our generation. That's why we serve in church. That's why we get involved. And hopefully, by the grace of God, and according to the teachings of the Word of God, that's why you are faithful to your local church. 
and you're involved in your local church. Listen, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. It doesn't even mean that you have to like me. I'm, I'm, I'm not in this job looking for friends. That's not what I'm called to do. I would rather be liked than not liked. But it's not my job. It's not my role as the pastor to be everybody's buddy. It's my role as a pastor to preach, teach, stand for, and live in example the word of God for everybody. And it's my job as the pastor to motivate you to get involved in church. Listen, there are roles that are open in this church. There are opportunities to get involved. You have friends, some of you have friends, especially nowadays, man. After, these la- after this last time, I know we keep referring to it, but this is the major event of most of our lives. COVID is a major, major disruption to the way life has been lived and will be for a long time. And there are many people who are homeless as far as church goes now. And they're looking for a place to reconnect. And if they don't find a place to reconnect, then they're going to be floating out there on the sea of uselessness and the sea of unchurched, probably for the rest of their lives. So talk to your friends and invite them to church. Tell them there's a place where they can get plugged in and get involved in ministry. But you know what the most important group of people that you need to model that for is? Your family, your children. Your children need to see that church is important to you. Not that church is an option on Sunday morning. That church is important to you. Listen, my dad and mom, it was so important that even when we were on vacation, my parents tried to find a church to go to. My parents kind of adjusted our vacations around so where we wouldn't miss church. There's a novel idea. When you show your children that something else is more important than church, guess what your children's, guess what the message your children is getting? Something is more important than church. Well, Pastor John, don't tell me how to raise my kids. All right. All right. I'm just trying to help you out, man. I'm just trying to help you understand that being here in this body is incredibly important to you and it's incredibly important to your children. Not only can I say that from looking at the word of God and reading the word of God, I can say that this past week, I, I marked the 19th year that I've been the pastor of New Life. One of the greatest heartbreaks of my ministry is seeing families that didn't put church in, as an important part of their lives and to see their kids now floating away, and to get requests from those people from time to time saying, hey, can you pray for my kid? They're involved deeply in addiction. My children, well, okay, I will, and I'll help you out, do whatever I, do whatever I can. But I'll tell you what, in the, in the military, we did PMCS, Preventive Maintenance of Checks and Systems. And every day, I thought it was so, so useless every day to go check the same Jeep that didn't move yesterday, make sure there was enough oil, make sure there was enough everything, and start that Jeep up and pull it forward and back it up into the same spot. thought that was so useless. 
and such a waste of my time. And then I started realizing that, geez, when those times came where we were put on alert and we were getting ready, preparing for the possibility of war, man, so glad that those machines that would protect me ran. Taking care of your adult children and trying to bring your adult children back and trying to repair your adult children is a, is a valiant effort to put in. But wouldn't it have been better and wouldn't it be better to perform preventive maintenance on your children when they're young by covering all the bases and making sure that your kids are in church, making sure that you are in church, making sure that you are modeling for them what it means to be a part of church. Listen, you don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to stand up on, the, on, on, on Wednesday nights when Awana kicks back up in August or throughout July where we have a children's program. You don't have to be a teacher. You can be a helper. Go ahead and try to work with, is the young, what's the youngest one, Cubbies? And there's like eight of them right now with more to come. Go ahead. Do that on your own. You'll lose your mind. Right, Kate? You'll lose your mind. Kate's our, Kate's our Cubby's teacher. Yeah. Wow. Move up. And Aaron has a helper, could use more help. The, the next group up, the next group up is probably worse than the Cubby's. <laughs> Because like, right, right? Because the next group up is like all, I know, that was, that was great. That was awesome. That was, that was awesome, Amber. Next group up has my sons and has Charlie and uh, has Joao. And if you don't think that's trouble, then uh, you're just not paying attention. We could use help. We could use help. There's always places to serve. We brought our boys over yesterday to do some yard work around the church to help us out. We wanted our sons to see that there's more to serving than simply being, on Sunday, being there on Sunday morning. There's practical ways you can help your church out. Saturday morning, gentlemen, come out and do something with the guys. Show your sons and show your daughters that there is a commitment that can be made and needs to be made to church quickly. Jesus is the head of the church. He expects his body to cooperate. Jack Wellman said that. D.L. Moody said, church attendance is, a vital, is as vital to a disciple as a transformation of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. If you don't believe those last two statements, you don't get what being part of a church is all about. Truly believe that. They need you to bring them to church as a family. Sorry, Brian, I'm going to go through these next slides very quickly. They need you to hear you support your pastor and leadership. They need to see you and hear you worshiping Jesus. Man, I, this morning, great job, worship team. Amazing worship this morning. And I can't stand up right now. It's better for me not to stand up. And I explained that to the worship team. And I apologize for that. But I just can't right now. Right now, my right leg is, numb, is just about numb. Um, I can't do it. I have to save myself for preaching. But I, I couldn't help but raise my hands and look around and, and watch the body of Christ worship and listen. It was amazing. It was amazing this morning. 
and to, hear, and to see our children in here, hearing and seeing their parents and other adults worshiping and seeing the example of a worship team up on that platform. Did you know your kids dream of being up here? Now, they may not have the voice someday to sing up here, but as I told a couple this week, I even led worship in this church at one time. One service, that's it. One service. It's because, it, because we had, it was, I forget what the circumstances were, but I had to. It was not pretty, but we got through it. Some of, I see, look around, I see some kids drumming on their seats, mimicking Ben and mimicking Luis. Make sure your kids see you supporting, not only supporting your leadership, but seeing and hearing you worship. They need to watch your involvement in ministry. Your kids need to observe you as you serve in ministry. Lastly, as we close this message out, they need to know that you'll never give up on them. Doesn't matter how old you get and how old they get. Kids turn 18, looks in, an, in the foster care system in this, in this country. When a kid turns 18, we turn them loose. That's the greatest injustice we can do to a child who has no home, who bounces from home to home to home to home. Now we say you're 18, go out on your own. Terrible, it's terrible. A lot, of a lot of families do that as well. Unless you're the exception to the rule, you weren't ready to be out on your own at 18. You were ready to take on some adult responsibility. But there were some lessons that you still had not learned. And you still needed that lifeline of your family. At the age your children are, even if they're grown adults, they still need. Did you know that your children are still proud when you post something about them on Facebook if they're adults? They're still proud of you. They're still thankful and they still smile inside even though they may say, please don't do that again. They're like, would you do it again? <laughs> no matter what, your kids need to know that you'll never, ever, ever give up on them. The relationship may be strained, the relationship may even be broken. You may not have access to your children right now. But you know what you can do? You can pray for them. You can pray God's blessing on them. You can pray God's protection on them. That they not make those stupid decisions that'll lead them down the wrong road. You can pray that God will get a hold of their hearts and bring them back to him. But no matter what, your children always need to know that you'll never give up on them. Why? Because God will never give up on them. It will be tough sometimes. You'll want to quit on your kids. You'll even want to quit on God. But don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Close it out with this verse, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will work on you and work on you and work with you until the day you go home to be with him. That's his example of how we should parent our children. Never give up on them. Always love them. Always give them an example to follow. Always, always, always put Jesus first in the way you parent your children.
and make sure they know who matters, what matters, and why it matters. Not ever, not always going to be perfect, but I'll guarantee you it will make your children's lives valuable and, and worth, have, have great worth in this world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here in this church. And Lord, how we've been able to come back together as a church. Thank you for those who, uh, who are here today, those who are watching us. Father, I pray that all of us, not just parents, Lord, every one of us has some kind of a responsibility in the life of a child. Lord, I pray that we'll take these principles and we'll learn from them and we'll put them into practice. We're never going to be perfect, but we can be the best we can be and the best you can make us. May that be our prayer. Lord, we pray for our sister Vicki right now. Father, you know her health. You know her situation. Lord, we pray for your grace in these times. And for Pam McNelly, Lord, I know her, her health is in a rough patch right now. Father, there's not a lot of answers. But I pray that, first of all, your comfort and your grace and your peace will come on Pam and Dave. And I pray that you'll give the doctors wisdom and give Pam the strength to get through this. Bless us as we go from this place. May we honor you with our lives and all we do. In your name we pray. Amen.